Welcome to Paris Good Food and Wine. I'm Paige Donner, the host and producer. This food and wine show is being brought to you directly from Paris, France. Here, we give you a taste of this delicious world with all its colorful and diverse personalities that make up the Paris culinary landscape. So, sit back and relax and enjoy Paris good food and wine. This episode of Paris Good Food and Wine, our season four kickoff, is devoted to my very favorite topic, food and wine pairings. When I'm walking my clients through my food and wine pairing seminar, Perfect Pairings Food and Wine, here in Paris, I always tell them that together, when you do a proper food and wine pairing, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, to borrow a phrase from Aristotle. Meaning in simple English that the wonderful tastes of both wine and food when served in the right combination are amplified, sometimes exponentially. However, before we get to the good stuff, namely my interviews with Jamie Anderson, the newly appointed wine director at Paris's La Reserve Palace Hotel, followed by my conversation with David Boileau, France's Cognac Bureau's wine ambassador, I'd like to start off with some of the do's and don'ts of wine and food pairings. Well, aside from the fact that everyone knows that asparagus is very difficult to pair wine with, the simple rule is that there are only two types of pairings, says Richard Bernard, head sommelier at the St. James in Bouillac in Bordeaux. Those of harmony, where acidities, sugars, and weight in the food and wine are equal, and those of opposition, where a wine of high acidity cuts through fatty meat or an off-dry wine goes with spicy food. A common challenge, he notes, is when diners want to drink sweet wines like Sauterne with dessert, especially with cold elements like ice cream. Stéphane Morand, Sommelier at Le Cercle à Bourges, near Blois, in the Loire Valley, says asparagus is tricky, but a reliable match is Domaine Collins Pierre à Feu Chenin Blanc 2012 from Coteau du Vendomois. And for blue lobster with ravioli, he recommends a white Chateauneuf de Pape. Its elegance marries well with the power of the lobster. Turning back to the Loire, sommelier Emmanuel Pesquera recommends pairing langoustine with truffle, sea kale, and Jerusalem artichoke, surely a tricky dish, with Domaine Huet's Clos de Bourg Demi-Sec Vouvray, 1957. Vouvray, of course, is in Touraine, which is just east of Tours in the Loire Valley. Vouvray produces some of France's best white wines. Spicy dishes are the hardest to pair when you're looking for balance, says David Barre. He used to be the sommelier at Bar Boulou at the Mandarin Oriental in London. He's now head sommelier at the Arts Club London. He went on to say that at Bar Boulou, their dish Boudin Noir au Piment d'Espelette, that's a black pudding with hot chili to me and you, was difficult, but that he liked serving Egon Muller's Riesling Cabinet. 
The residual sugar softens the chili without altering the taste of the sausage, he elaborates. Some more tips from notable sommeliers. Ceviche, the classic Peruvian dish, a Gruner-Veltliner with a bit of age is apparently a marriage made in heaven. If you pay a bit more attention to the structure of the food and wine and a bit less attention to flavors, it's often not a very difficult task. As long as you don't limit your way of thinking, anything can be possible. And weighing in from decanter, Karen McNeil has these 10 tips for food and wine pairing. Pair great with great, humble with humble. Match delicate to delicate, bold to bold. For example, a Shiraz, or Syrah, as we say here in France, with hot and spicy cuisines. Mirror or contrast. Decide if you want to mirror a given flavor or set up a contrast. Chardonnay with lobster and cream sauce would be an example of mirroring. Both the lobster and the Chardonnay are opulent, rich, and creamy. Flexible wine. While Chardonnay is a go-to wine in many parts of the world, it's actually one of the least flexible wines with food, depending on where they're grown. Chardonnays often have a good dose of toasty oak and high alcohol, making them taste hard and dull when accompanied by food. For flexibility, go with a Sauvignon Blanc or a dry Riesling. Sauvignon Blanc are often found from the Loire Valley in France and Riesling often from Alsace. These wines have cleansing acidity. Wines with high acidity leave you wanting to take a bite of food. And after taking a bite of food, you want a sip of wine. And this is the perfect dining merry-go-round. It's what you're seeking with perfect food and wine pairings. Flexible red wines either have good acidity, such as a red burgundy, a California or Oregon Pinot Noir, a Chianti, or they have lots of fruit with little tannin. Zinfandel, simple Italian red, southern Rhone wines, such as Chateauneuf du Pape, are naturals with a wide range of dishes, such as comfort foods like grilled chicken, or more complex dishes like pasta bolognese, or Syrah from the Rhone, with a nice roast lamb. Fruity wines for fruity dishes. Pork with sautéed apples, roasted chicken with apricot glaze, duck with figs. These often pair beautifully with very fruit-driven wines that have super fruity aromas. Gewürztraminer, Muscat, Viognier, and Riesling. These are your best choices here. Another rule of thumb, salty contrasts nicely with acidity. Saltiness in food is a great contrast to acidity in wine. Think about smoked salmon and champagne, or Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese and Chianti. Asian dishes that have soy sauce in them often pair well with high-acid wines, like a Riesling. Sweet complements salt. So, an example here, a luscious Cabernet Sauvignon from Languedoc with anchovies in oil. Saltiness is a stunningly delicious contrast to sweetness. Try that Asian dish seasoned with soy sauce with an American Riesling that's slightly sweet and watch both the food and the wine pull together in a whole new way. This is the principle behind that great old European custom of serving Stilton cheese, salty, 
with port, sweet. High-powered wines with high-fat food. This is the principle at work when a Bordeaux wine, made primarily from Cabernet Sauvignon and or Merlot, is served with roasted duck or lamb. Pairing richness with richness is the wisdom behind that decadent French wine and food marriage, Sauterne and Foie Gras. Rich, intense, structured, and concentrated wine. Here's where a well-balanced red wine with tannin, such as a good quality Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot, works wonders with a big, thick, juicy T-bone steak served with a baked potato. The immense structure of the wine stands up to the meatiness of the steak, and at the same time, the meat's richness and fat serves to soften the impact of the wine's tannin. And let's not forget the umami punch. Umami, the fifth taste, is responsible for that sense of deliciousness in foods. Chefs increasingly use foods high in umami, such as Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese, soy sauce, wild mushrooms, most red meats, to build a dish and potentially make it sensational with wine. When wine and food are paired well together, adding an umami component to the food often serves to heighten the overall experience. For example, we know steak and Cabernet Sauvignon to be a successful match. Topping the steak with grilled mushrooms gives the overall combination that much more punch. Now, one thing to watch out for is sweet on sweet. When choosing your wine pairing with desserts, consider sweetness carefully. Desserts that are sweeter than the wine make the wine taste dull and blank. In essence, the sweetness of the dessert knocks out the character of the wine. Wedding cake, for example, can ruin just about anything in the glass, except, of course, champagne. The best dessert and wine marriages are usually based on pairing a not-too-sweet dessert, like a fruit or nut tart, with a sweeter wine. For these wine and food pairing tips, Thanks in part to decanters Karen McNeil, who is also the author of The Wine Bible, which you can find on Amazon. And to book Perfect Pairings Food and Wine here in Paris, you can find the reservation form on parisfoodandwine.net and also on Airbnb Experiences by searching Perfect Pairings Food and Wine Paris. Now, on to our interviews. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine, our season four kickoff, broadcasting direct from Paris. This episode of Paris Good Food and Wine has been brought to you by Paris Food and Wine. You can find us at parisfoodandwine.net. Here we are. I'm sitting across from lovely Jamie, who's our sommelier, who is the sommelier here at La Reserve, which is one of Paris's newest uh, Palace Hotels, it's definitely a unique property. It's um, probably one of the most unique small luxury hotels in the world. 
beautiful, gorgeous property, and they have now a gorgeous young American woman as their uh, top sommelier for their newly crowned, also two Michelin star restaurant. It went from zero to two uh, in one fell swoop. So that made headlines last year, 2016. So just tell us a little bit of like how you got here, because this is quite a coveted position. Um, you know, everything is kind of meant to be in a way. I was uh, working in Los Angeles uh, with uh, Chef Wolfgang Puck, and I run his beverage program at Cut at the Beverly Wilshire. And uh, I happened to pass Crofts with the director of this hotel currently, and I was received the opportunity to move out here for uh, just a position within uh, the sommelier team. And uh, this last July, this last summer, I took the post of chef sommelier. So that translates in, into English as, uh, you know, the wine director, the beverage director. And I'm currently running the wine list and working the floor for our two Michelin star restaurant, uh, the Gabrielle. That is, I mean, congratulations to you, you know, because, yeah, um, there aren't a lot of Americans in the wine business here. I, I know they come over, but there aren't really a lot of Americans in the wine business here. And there are even fewer women chef sommeliers. So, yeah, so you're you're quite unique. Um, I just out of personal curiosity now, I, how did you land into the world of wine? Like what? Yeah. How did what did you how did you get to study wine? So I was always a huge Francophile growing up. I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. There's not a lot of, you know, huge French influence there. Uh, but for some reason, I always gravitated towards all things French. And I started studying uh, French uh, in junior high and I went through high school. And then in college, I decided to study international business with a minor in French. And that took me to France my senior year of college, where I studied at the Sorbonne um, and at the American Business School. And uh, while I was over here, I was just totally in, entranced with the lifestyle and how wine is, uh, you know, a part of every single meal. And I was traveling through uh, wine country with my friends, and you could see how the grapes changed and the food changed and the climate changed, and everything was really reflective of where we were at that particular time. So I moved back to the States, and I did the, uh, I got the job that uh, pertained to my degree, and when the economy crashed in 2008, I was laid off. So what else are you going to do but uh, find what you're passionate about? And so my hobby went into my studies. So I moved to Los Angeles, and I started at the UCLA Vintage Program, which is part of the Extension School. And, uh, and then from there, I started studying with the Court of Master Sommeliers, uh, with whom I still uh, continue to study with. And uh, yeah, and the rest is history. Just working the floor at a bunch of different restaurants in Los Angeles. And, and yeah, that's how it all started in, you know, 25 seconds. <laughs> Oh, I know. It's like, yeah, but, <laughs> you know, bite-sized bits of a, of a person's biography. But you, you are a young woman, so you have a, a, you know, huge history in front of you, even though you have accomplished so much so far, Jamie. So let's turn now to the subject of our show today, which is um, food and wine pairings. And, you know, I really, I wanted to turn to you as an expert in this field because uh, I have um, started a bit ago, I started doing these perfect pairings, food and wine here in Paris. And it's just kind of like a, a side thing I do. And mo But most of my clients are Americans, some Canadians, but definitely visitors. And one of the things that I present to them is the whole, this whole notion of food is wonderful by itself. Wine is wonderful by itself, but when you put them together in the proper combinations, they are just 
tenfold, sometimes a hundredfold better. And so it's a question of really experimenting, doing a lot of tastings, as I'm sure you well know, doing a lot of tastings to find those magical pairings, which, you know, do these taste explosions in your mouth. So I I wanted to ask you a little bit about, I mean, do you have any, like, wh- what's your two cents on all this? Is there is there a theory behind it? Is there, like, what, you know, what, what's an expert's uh, analysis of, of that? Um, well, it's kind of you to call me an expert, but um, the the thing about food and wine pairing is that, um, you know, there's a lot of theories behind it, but it's also a very subjective experience. So something that might work for me might not work for someone else. That being said, you know, there's one rule that a lot of people gravitate towards, and that's if it grows together, it goes together. Um, so, you know, that's why we, this is not French, but white truffles from Piemonte with Barolo. It's uh, one of those kind of combinations that you can't really replicate and everyone knows about. And they're from a very special region in, in northern Italy and they just, you know, it's magic. But there's also something to be said for that's not, that can sometimes be a little constraining. You know, you're limited to those two things. And I'm sure that there's, there are a lot of things that go wonderful with white truffles that aren't necessarily from Italy. So there's also finding similar flavors which would be more of like a congruent pairing. A great example of this would be beef and mushrooms. So what we're talking about here is savory kind of umami flavors, and that's a congruent pairing. And there's also complementary pairings. Complementary is more like, you know, flavors that might go well together from two different ingredients or two different structures that go really well together. So let's say we have a high acid wine, and then we have something really rich, the acidity of that wine is going to cut through the richness and the fattiness of that particular protein or the, uh, the rich portion of that, of that dish. So there's a lot of different, you can have a lot of fun with food and wine pairing. You don't have to be uh, hammered down to, well, you can only have this with that. You really just have to kind of hone in on what are the predominant flavors of that dish, what is the texture of that dish, and what wine maybe will contrast it while complimenting it. You know, you well, as you were talking about a wine that will cut through, on, on a recent Perfect Pairings, I presented a Riesling to um, a group of, of American women um, over from Texas, actually. And for, number one, Riesling in the United States is not Riesling here in France. And so, because um, she had, had made a note when I'd asked them what kinds of wines did they like, and she had said, well, I don't really like sweet whites. And so when I presented a Riesling, she was like, uh, you know, and I said, but this one's from Alsace. So I guarantee you're going to be surprised. So one, you know, the Rieslings here from Alsace are nice and dry. And also we paired it, you know, with, it was like chicken in a creamy, creamy mushroom sauce. Yeah. And, and well, now you tell me why you're saying absolutely, because it it worked really well. Well, you're, we're talking about chicken here and the robust flavor of chicken with the rich uh it's accompanied with what would you say it was accompanied with no uh creamy mushroom mushroom. okay so we're talking about um you know these very earthy flavors a very rich texture and when you take the drier normally drier uh, styles of riesling from alsace what it's going to do is it's going to cut through the fat so what the Riesling does is it cleanses the palate and not only cuts through uh, the richness and the creaminess of, um, of uh, this particular dish, but it cleanses your palate for the next bite. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that you bring up Riesling because if there's one thing that I could tell uh, any of your viewers that might happen to be listening, 
Riesling is one of the most versatile and amazing grape varietals in the world, and it's got a, a terrible rap for that, which I'm not sure why. Well, I, I know why there was, you know, some pretty bad Riesling that was made for a while there. But even the sweeter styles are incredibly versatile with food pairings, um, particularly you can have the Baranas Lezes and Trocken Baranas Lezes of Germany. Um, you can have the sweeter expressions, not Riesling, but Chenin Blanc here in Loire Valley, the Moelleuse, the Duze, the Demisex even, that are incredibly versatile with food and wine pairing, um, especially when you have ingredients like ginger, Thai spices, you know, saffron. Uh, it's, it's something that you can start off with because they can be light and very mineral if you have them as like a demisec. And it can go through the entire menu all the way to dessert if you happen to have something that has stone fruit or honey or vanilla or, um, you know, ginger again in the dessert. These are incredibly versatile wines. And, um, you know, it's I have a lot of guests sometimes that tell me when they're doing a food and wine pairing with their tasting menu, you know, I don't really like sweet wines if we can avoid that. And of course, I'm going to make sure to bring them a wine that they like. But before bringing them a drier wine, I always say, just try this, just try a little bite with the dish. And then they understand. They see that maybe they don't like this wine by itself, but when you put it with the right ingredients and something that, you know, uh, is going to not only lift the wine, but even provide flavors that you didn't find in the first place, when you put them together, there's something that the dish and the wine wouldn't have shown by themselves. That is such the magic of food and wine pairings. I, you know, you're just so eloquently expressing all of this because, I mean, when you stumble on that, like in recent months, I randomly stumbled on a very simple long dock, but not not made with the normal Grenache, Mourvedre. It was actually so. It was actually made. Uh, it was actually a Cabernet Sauvignon made in long dock, and then uh, paired it with some sardines. You know, just, you know, sardines, you know, nice sardines from, you know, like from Bézier or, you know, also somewhere in the south. But I'm telling you, it's like that red wine was a nice, simple table red wine, you know, French table red wine by itself. Not bad. You know, the sardines were, you know, were nice and salty, you know, on their, you know, nice and salty and oily on their own. But I'm telling you, when you put them together, the the fruit in the wine just exploded and became so rich and sweet. And and the saltiness then, too, of the sardines was actually, was like cut in half. So, I mean, it was kind of, it's like, it's like they were both good on their own, but together it was bullseye, you know. And these are some of the fun things, you know, that you stumble on. And honestly, I think it's just a question. Um, well, you know, you you launched uh, our whole conversation with, a, you know, a great example, you know, Barolo and white truffles. And I know France has something similar. Um, do you want to speak a little bit about their fondness of sauterne and foie gras? This episode has been brought to you by the generous support of Paris Food and Wine. Follow us on Twitter at Paris Food Wine, Facebook at Paris Food and Wine, and you can find me on Instagram at Page Food Wine. So you take the richness of, of foie gras, and um, it's interesting that you bring this up because right now we have um, a lunch menu that, uh, that has foie gras. It's wrapped in um, green cabbage, served with some fleur de sel, and it's very rich. And um, 
this could also it'd be a great moment to talk about the intensity or the power of a dish because you just brought up uh, sardines. And same with foie gras. These are very rich, um, intense dishes. Sardines are very salty and they were, and oily, so they're going to require a wine that can match that in power. Same with, with foie gras. The sauterne is so intense, and it's botrytis notes in particular. Now, just before when I was talking about the Riesling and the Chenin, uh, some of those, um, these are two grapes that are also susceptible to botrytis, and that's where you get some of those honey tones, ginger, um, saffron. When you take those very concentrated flavors that are derived from botrytis, there's power and intensity in not only the sugar, but also in the acidity. And going back to that acidity, that's what's going to cut through the fat of the foie gras. You also need the intensity of flavor, which Sauterne is not shy to give. But, you know, that's a classic pairing. But you can also do other sweet wines, maybe ones that don't even actually have botrytis too. One of the beautiful things that I learned about, um, well, you know, you can find it in the States, but it's it's more part of a, a person's meal here in Paris is the Gerançon um, appellation. So traditionally, Saturn, you find that with foie gras, but you can have fun with other sweet wines uh, in France that will also highlight and uh, and really cut through the fat of foie gras. One of the appellations that I enjoy, um, that I very much got into well, uh, since I've moved here, is uh, Gerançon um, in southwest France. And they have the Gerançon Sec and Gerançon Moelleux, and they're made from the Petite and Bromancing grapes. But these are these grapes are less susceptible uh, to botrytis. Uh, Petit Mansang has thicker skin, so it's difficult for botrytis to attack this particular grape. But it makes a very sweet, refreshing expression of of a sweeter wine. It makes a very refreshing, fruity, uh, concentrated expression of sweet wine. And this as well uh, goes great with foie gras. And it tends to be less sweet. So this same tasting menu that I have right now for lunch, we start off in our entree with this foie gras. And it's a little intense to serve Sauterne right off from the get-go. So instead, I take them usually to a Gerançon Moelleux or a Vouvray Moelleux. You know, and you mentioned this, the southwest France. There's a, uh, another sweet wine from there that I'm, I'm sure you know of that I've fallen in love with since I've been here in France called Pacheron de Vicbille. And that, I just, I love it. I just, I love the fresh acidity in that. I love the pineapple notes. And I find it, and even though it's from basically the same area as Gironçon, same cepage, so same varietal, but for whatever reason, a completely different yeah, wine. A little bit more salinity, a little bit more freshness to it. Um, yeah, this is something, too, that you can have a lot of fun with, uh, with, with raw fishes, like a ceviche or a carpaccio with just a light seasoning. We can have a lot of fun, too, if you have particular poultry. Like on our menu right now, we have, uh, we have a duck that uh, we pair with, um, that serve with mango and um, some stuffed uh, dates. And this is something that well, most people think duck, oh, I need to have a red wine with this. Um, but you can have these slightly sweeter wines that will own up to, you know, some of the more exotic fruit flavors, sweetness that you would have on the dish with the duck and still have the intensity and the acidity 
uh, to own up to the uh, power of the protein in this case, the duck. There, that's fascinating. Yeah, because you know when you say duck, I guess I've fallen into uh, myself. I've fallen into I, I sort of maybe the French way of thinking in the sense of like duck Bordeaux. You know that, that you know I always think oh you know duck you know a, a good sense in Lyon or a, or a Medoc or something like that. But you, you know you're right. Also too, I had the great good fortune last year of being invited by the um, Burgundy Wine School to do a little food and wine atelier uh, down in Bonn. And one of the tasting experiments that they did with us was actually a tasting of of foie gras with different wines. One of them was the sweet sauterne, which, you know, which is such a traditional pairing here in France. Um, but they also paired it with a dry red and then also a sweet red. And one of the servings of foie gras had a slight bit of pepper on it, just a slight bit of you know, of black pepper seasoning. And I tell you, for everyone in the room, there was about 50 of us in the room, you know, participating in the in the workshop. It, just that slight seasoning changed absolutely everything. Have you, have you encountered that yourself? Yeah, the particular um, spices that are used for a dish uh, will most certainly influence the wine that you're going to choose. Um, you know, Thai spices uh, in a curry, um, black pepper, usually black pepper takes me into the Syrah route, um, whether it be from Cote Roti or uh, from Hermitage. But then again, it takes us to well, what's the protein and also what's the sauce that it's being served with. The sauce uh, plays a huge role in, in the wine that you're, going to, uh, that you're going to pair with. And whether or not the intensity of the dish is very powerful, uh, you can go to Hermitage for a more robust expression of Syrah. Even the Cote Brune and Cote Roti, where there's going to be a little bit more masculinity and savory and peppery tones. But then there's also the beautiful elegance of um, the Cote Brune and Cote Roti, and where you find, uh, you know, maybe more feminine expression of the grape, but those uh, sort of peppery tones are still there in the wine. So spice notes, uh, the sauce that's used, uh, the overall fat content on the plate, all these things combined, uh, you have to put them all together and think, okay, so what's the wine that's going to complement these uh, attributes the best? Jamie, do you have a, a few go-tos yourself? Like say you're hosting your own dinner party with your, your friends, family members, loved one, whatever, you know, and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to do this. You know, I've got, I've got a couple, you know, you know, I'm sure you could pick out a sauce and you'd be like, well, this is what I need to pair that up. But are there a couple go-tos that people can kind of keep in their back pocket in the sense of like, okay, well, I'm ordering this at the restaurant, so I know I need to order this wine. Or, or I have a taste for this wine, so I need to order this kind of a dish to go with it. And I mean, it's it, I know it's great to stay, to stay really simple, like, you know, fish, white, you know, red meat, red, but maybe we can even go one, maybe just even a little, a little step further. Cause I know you can kind of play around with that when, once you start to get your bearings a bit. Yeah. So, um, back to the topic of intensity, uh, and, also, and you brought it up too with sardines, uh, sardines. So when you have uh, something with that sort of salty, um, when you have a stronger fish like that, it's important that you have a wine that matches it in intensity. So, for example, I have um, a smoked macro on our on our menu, and it's served with an escabeche sauce, and the sauce is rather strong. So while you can pair a red wine with fish, usually a, more, a lower tan grape varietal like Pinot Noir or Gamay or Trousseau and Jura, um, Pinot Noir also in Sancerre, um, there's a lot of different 
grapes that you can go to that won't be too overpowering with the fish. But I feel like a lot of time people have missed opportunity with rosé and what their perception is of rosé. For example, we can go to the Bandal Appalachian where they use predominantly uh, the Morvedra grape. And you'll find a lot of the time that most of these rosés coming from Bandal, there's going to be more concentration in the color, a little bit more structure. Uh, uh, more intensity altogether, and so this uh, is a you know rosé. You can, you can. It's a very versatile wine, and it's kind of that gateway too. If you do have a stronger fish or a stronger sauce, uh, where you don't maybe necessarily have to have a red, uh, but it's going to have a little bit more power than um, than a white wine. I'm glad you brought up the rosés because when I do these perfect pairings with people, I always present a, a rosé, a red, and a white from different regions at, at, for different times, you know. And the rosés are almost always a surprise because I think, I may be wrong, I've been away from the States for a long time, and um, it seemed to me like we, in the States, we kind of think of rosés as the girly fruity wine, you know, whereas here in France, I mean, it's, it's not, it's almost always dry. It's often drunk as an aperitif as, as I'm, I'm sure you know, but it's all often, all, especially in the summertime paired, well, in the wintertime too, you know, paired with like roast chicken or, you know, I, like I know in, um, the, like uh, like a little a, a little secret too for example in in the champagne region where they drink more champagne than anywhere else on earth truly they love drinking their rosé champagnes with pizza i'll be very honest i'll be very honest they love that and, and, you know, rosé is very similar to Riesling in the States. It's got a bad rap and it shouldn't. And there was a lot of overproduced, not great quality rosé that was made for a really long time. We won't say any names. Um, but uh, people need to understand that, um, you know, it's it's a difficult process in making a very well-balanced, complex uh, expression of rosé. And you can find them all over the south of France. You can find them all over the world. But uh, the there's so much um, versatility with with these wines in terms of in terms of pairing and when you you know they can be made from the uh, lighter skin grapes and and have this very fruity fresh uh, most you know that you would find from the Cote de Provence and there's nothing wrong with that and you can find you know more thicker skin grapes that they're using and make a more powerful expression of uh, of rosé like said Bendel but you can also find people using Bordeaux grape varieties so you know there's uh, there's a lot to be um, that we have to learn to appreciate about rosé in terms of its uh, versatility but you know going back to what you were saying about some of my uh, uh, favorite pairings and also on the same topic you just brought up uh, chicken you know, it's also one of those things people think that they need to have a red wine with these uh, with these poultry, you know, with duck, um, whatever it may be. Um, but um, the I, most of the time, what I prefer to have if I'm going to have a roast chicken is um, a nice white burgundy or a richer white. Also, depending on what it's served with, but you know, a beautiful Condrieu made from uh, the uh, Viognier grape, an Hermitage Blanc. Even some producers in Chateau de Pop, they're making uh, these, you know, <laughs> very rich, but at the same time, uh, um, you know, restrained, uh, elegant whites. I mean, these are incredibly versatile with those richer um, uh, poultry dishes that. Uh, that uh, you can make at home. Yeah, those are, you just named some of them. It's definitely some of my favorites. Conjure oh my goodness. Yeah, one, one of my favorites, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's true. It's like, um, there. you know, there, there does seem to be some standards set in France. You know, we've mentioned a couple of them so far. Another one I know that is a 
a fond favorite here is, for example, Sancerre with uh, Crotin de Chèvre, right? Now, now, why would that go so well? Although, although I know what you're going to say. I think you're probably going to say wh what you started with. You know, if it grows together, it goes together. But elaborate for us uh, on that. Well, the next time that you taste goat cheese, uh, you're probably what you're going to notice is that there's a freshness to it. It's uh, it's just a very fresh, uh, bright uh, cheese that's kind of got, you know, there's a thickness to the texture, but it's not too uh, overwhelming. It's just a soft, fresh cheese. And Sancerre, Savion Blanc, grown on these incredibly chalky soils, there's freshness and herbaceousness to this particular Savion Blanc. Uh, so you put the two together and you have the acidity that cuts through the texture of the cheese and also highlights the, uh, the brightness and the herbaceous qualities of both. So... Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful, a beautiful pairing. Yeah. What What else? Like, what about seafood? Like muscadet with seafood. Yeah. Now, why would that be such a great pairing? Well, melon de Bourgogne grown in muscadet, and it it holds on to these, you know, very salty, minerally driven attributes that they derive from this particular appellation, and, and not just muscadet. Muscadet and, oy and oysters is great, but you can find all of these very similar soils throughout all of northern France, Loire Valley in particular, even over into the eastern portion into the Jura and in Burgundy and whatnot. And, um, and there's a, a salinity, there's um, a kind of an oceanic flavor, there's citrus, uh, salt, and you put that with the, pretty much the same flavors that you're going to derive from the oysters, and it's magic. You know, maybe just a couple recommendations to kind of take you a little bit off of, um, you know, Muscadet is great, but uh, Chablis and oysters, uh, fabulous. And there's also a really cool appellation, uh, Cours Chevrogny, uh, the, and they use the Romorantin grape. And um, you can find older vines of this grape planted in this appellation. And I mean, this is, uh, I think, just an underrated grape that makes really beautiful, minerally driven wines. And it would uh, perfectly highlight um, a very similar flavor profile you find in oysters. And what, what region are we in for that AOC that you just mentioned? That's in the Loire Valley, Cours Chevrogny. Yeah. Sounds like a, a must try for my next oyster meal. <laughs> now, chocolate, um, so this will be our, the, we'll, we'll wind up with dessert. How's that? So chocolate is said to be one of the most difficult pairings. I get, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, we have to turn to a Porto or something. Now, what if we don't want to turn to a Porto? What, what options do we have? Well, if you want to stay with a fortified wine in France, you can do a Beignols. Okay, so that will be just like with Porto. Uh, it will be um, fortified, stops the fermentation process. You find uh, higher alcohol content and more sugar. And because of that, there's more power to this wine. And chocolate needs power because it can be very intense. Um, so that would be a great option. Another, you can actually do a, a sweet wine as well, like a Saturne. It depends on the kind of chocolate that we're, uh, that we're going to be um, having and also what it's coming with. But chocolate is very difficult just because... It's, it requires something that's, that's going to have the same intensity but not cover the flavor of the chocolate, if that makes any sense. No, it does. It does. And then, well, what about cognac? Because I know it's really more of a, it's really more of a spirit, um, but it is made from grapes. So is there, are there any possibilities for pairing? That's something I haven't, haven't uh, ventured forth too much with. You know, I don't really pair too often with cognac. I usually keep it towards the end of the meal to, um, to use as, you know, a, a digestif. 
but uh, you know, we've had it before with some apple desserts uh, that um, have some spice notes of cinnamon and cardamom, and you know uh, we weren't too mad at that combination. But uh, pairings with cognac, it's not uh, an everyday occurrence, I would say, in my in my restaurant. <laughs> yeah, Le Gabriel, two two star, two Michelin star. <laughs> Sure, I'm sure there's some phenomenal pairings with cognac out there. It's uh, just, um, yeah, it's maybe that'll be my next thing where I start <laughs> trying to pair with. I know. Well, you know, actually, it's funny because uh, there I just saw on the calendar there's an atelier taking place in about a week or so. But it'll be after this the airing of the show. But they're doing a cognac with food pairing, and I've requested to attend it because I thought, well, that's I, I'm going to learn something there. But I can't even imagine because. Um, I'm very sensitive to alcohol, you know, and so that high alcohol kind of kind of throws my whole taste buds off. But it's the same thing. I mean, they do whiskey pairings too, and it's um, you know, it is. It's a different world. It's a different structure. It's it's um, there's definitely a you know, it requires to have a little bit more high tolerance, I think, to get through uh, get one of, through one of those tastings. But you know, every beverage that that's made out there, there is something that goes well with it. And you just have to take your time to figure out what's going to go best in your viewpoint. Because again, pairings are subjective. What I might like, uh, you know, might not do it for you and vice versa. And uh, I think that the best thing to do is to just stay open and and not really get tied down to generalizations uh, about uh, grapes or styles of wine um, and to just be to be open. You know, we haven't even touched on champagne. You brought it up there, you know, a second ago. But if you want to talk about <laughs> something that is incredibly versatile with pairing and to most of the guests that come into my restaurant if they're having the eight course tasting menu and they're looking for a bottle of wine that's going to go with both or going to go through the entire meal you know it's uh it's daunting for a sommelier to try to find that bottle more often than not a champagne will do the trick yeah i'm glad you said that and i know a lot of the champenoir are jumping up and down in joy for you saying that because um they're always pushing in you know in the champagne region they're always pushing champagne as it's not just as a as an aperitif it's for the meal as well, but we often don't we often don't think of that. Now, what about you? I promise this will. I promise, promise this is the last question. But what about you? Do you have an absolute favorite pairing that is your all time? This is this is what I I absolutely love, or or you know, or, or just like mention one of three if you have three top favorites or something. Gosh, I like a rich white with truffles and mushrooms and butter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, you're going to throw some sort of protein or starch into that, but those uh, those uh, those together will make me a happy girl. Um, I also, oddly enough, like vanilla ice cream in Saturn. So, uh, just, you know, separate. it's not like you have to pour it over. But again, this is something that I don't um, partake in every day. It'll only be an occasional treat because I have to somehow fit into my <laughs> my pants. But um, you know, that's uh, that's a good um, that's fun for me. Kind of reminds me of my grandma in a lot of ways. And then you know, just to irritate the chef with that I worked at within um, in Beverly Hills, <laughs> one of my favorites, not wine at all. It was kale chips with kombucha. <laughs> oh, I love it. That is so LA of you. <laughs> But I would never, it's only just to 
uh, you know, if he happens to listen to this, just to kind of, you know, make him laugh a little. But uh, yeah, we all have our own little weird things that we like. And uh, I would, you know, you have to try things that are new, but don't be, um, don't be shy to always uh, have what you already enjoy. That's, no, that that's adorable. That's adorable. And li- listen, since you came clean, uh, I'll I'll admit what one of my favorites too is um, is actually champagne with popcorn. Believe okay, it or not, absolutely. yeah. Even a you know very rich white Burgundy, Premier Cru, Grand Cru white Burgundy that's got a good dose of uh, some oak and butter in it. That's delicious with uh, with popcorn. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, it took me a little while, but I did go and try yum yummy pop. You know. Um, Scarlett Johansson's little popcorn shop in, in the Marais. And I tell you, that popcorn is so good. And, you know, you just mentioned a moment ago, you mentioned white truffle. They have a, a white, they have a truffle and cheese popcorn there. And when you just said Grand Cru Burgundy, I just, that, I, that's going to be my next big pairing is that, yeah. Well, you have, you have to splurge every now and then, <laughs> whether it's on the wine or on the calories. <laughs> Jamie, thank you so much for your time today. And I know we can find you here at Le Gabriel for lunch and dinner. I think it's open lunch Tuesday through Saturday. Or what are the hours here again for the year? We have lunch uh, Monday through Friday and brunch on Sunday. And we're open every night throughout the week. And we're just closed during the lunch service on Saturdays. Perfect. All right. So now we know at Low Reserve, the most stunning, you know, small property palace luxury hotel in Paris. I, I love this. I love this place. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And uh, it's been a real pleasure. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine with me, your host, Paige Donner. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paris Good Food and Wine, available on iTunes. Next up is David Boileau from the Cognac Bureau, otherwise known as the Bureau National Interprofessionnel de Cognac. Well, I'm so lucky then to have come in, in touch with you again or bumped into you here at Quintessence because I was just thinking the other day during a, the interview that just aired about what to pair with Cognac. <laughs> and I knew that there was pairings and then and then I realized I would be seeing you at this salon so you kindly David Boileau the ambassador for Cognac the BNIC the Bureau International of Cognac based in in Cognac you graciously allowed me to to do this interview following the food pairing that we just did so because you're so knowledgeable I'm going to ask you to start off on a primer of just to take us through again what VS is and what VSOP is, j- just to give us a refresher course. Thank you. Thank you very much, Paige. Um, yes, uh, just for remembering, cognac, it's uh, a blend from grape, from grape, and um, 
we have many qualities, and uh, we start with uh, a VS. VS, it's a young cognac because it's uh, very special. If you, if you translate, très spécial in French. And um, this designation of sailing, I just want to introduce you, youngest of the V in the blend need to have at least two years. It's not an average. It's just, it's just the, the, the youngest of the V of the blend. And um, culturally, cognac blend many things, many years and many cruises, because we have six different terroirs. Uh, and the habit uh, in cognac is to create the same taste. And for that, we used for sometimes 20 or sometimes 30 different eau de vie to, to, as to, to, to realize the same, the same quality. Uh, after the VS, we could find the VSOP, very spare all pay. The youngest eau de vie uh, of the blend need to have at least four years. It's more an average of 10 or 12 years, but the youngest need to have by low four years. For the XO, uh, extra old, it's f six years for the youngest. Even if in two years, the youngest need to be ten years. It's a, a modification of the law, uh, who will take place in two years now. Uh, XO, extra old, and the youngest need to have ten or, or six if you want. The average is more than 15, 20 years. So again, that was VS, VSOP. Exo and extra. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I don't speak about uh, the extra, but extra is another quality. Uh, it's older than the XO. Uh, each company keep secretly uh, some stocks uh, in a parody, humid uh, cellar. It's impossible to speak about cognac without the hundred share. Hundred share is the evaporation. We lose each year the equivalent of two. Two or three percent of the stocks. If you if you compare, it's the equivalent of twenty-seven million bottles each year. Okay, the, the angel think sing a lot in cognac area <laughs> because they're drunk all the time long. <laughs> and when we decided to, to stop the aging process, we fill the the eau de vie in glass bottle to stop the, the aging process and. We keep this uh, component, component in uh, in cellar, humid cellar. We call paradise. Okay, and uh, we um, create some extra old qualities with uh, these simple uh, samples of uh, of uh, exceptional olivier. I just love that you in French you call the place where you keep that that reserve cognac I love that you call it paradise <laughs> parody paradise anyway okay so mo so moving on so this was an exquisite tasting this was wonderful and you paired up with uh, the renowned chef Terry Vera yeah famous and and you obviously uh, worked together to create uh, you know these wonderful pairings you did a pairing with four different types of the cognac so we had a VS a VSOP an XO and then finished with the extra now I can say off the bat which my favorite my favorite one was actually the third one the XO with the fig and the little bit of cheese and I know the chef had said it was his great grandfather's recipe when they used to actually have fig trees in the vines so the story too I think evoked some kind of feelings of nostalgia but can you talk a little bit sort of like one two three about the pairings because it was very different I mean we went from trout caviar to beef to big to chocolate so yes 
we have a chance. Cognac is very versatile because we have so many different aromas. And uh, the aging process brings you some wood notes, some spicy notes, uh, some roasted fruits, some, some flour. And that's why it's so complex. We can try everything. And um, after different tasting, we appreciate and we 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 able to describe why it's a good pairing or not. And if you use a young cognac, a VS, especially with a like today with a salmon, uh, salmon, um, caviar. caviar salmon, it's perfect because you need to fresh the cognac to refresh it to change. What can I say? Uh, you know, when you drink uh, a cognac neat, you need to chill it to change the perception. Because when you chill it, you have the flavor before the alcoholic perception. And it's easier to, to drink and to appreciate. That's why we choose this young cognac with freshness, with uh, woody notes, because until the end of the distillation time, put this young olive in young barrel to catch some, some, some flavor of uh, of food, vanilla, uh, and so on, and, and, and so on. But yeah, honey, yeah, so many notes. Yes, it's complex, very complex. And to put it in in child, change the perception, and we lose the alcoholic parts of cognac when you do that. And it's easier to appreciate only aromas. And that's why it's a perfect match with um, caviar salmon because. You have some fatty notes uh, of, the, of the of the salmon, and the acidity of the cognac. It's a perfect match between the two the two products, and a perfect match is finding a balance between the two products. Not to have one winner and one loser, but just to create another perception and other quality. I'm glad you brought that up again about the chilling because I think that that was one of the surprising processes during the tasting is that, you know, you presented the cognacs a little slightly chilled. And for me, they were much easier to, to swallow, to be, to be honest. And another really surprising thing that I was very pleased that you pointed out was about the, um, the smelling of the bouquet. Because, you know, when you're trained to do so many wine tastings, you know, you're trained to kind of put your nose right in the glass. Whereas you and, and the chef pointed out, no, you don't do that with cognac because the alcohol at 40%, is that correct? The alcohol can kind of burn your nose a little bit. So can you just, just to wrap up a bit, can you just give us a, a little one, two, three about the best way to smell a cognac? You're right. You're completely right. When I started tasting, the first things I, I did, forget your wine culture. Because it's not the same. Cognac, it's 40% alcohol. It's so easy to put your nose in a glass of wine at 14, because 13, because uh, it's not so strong. But if you do the same with the cognac, you just smell al alcoholic vapor. Uh, that's why it's not necessary to agitate your, your glass. And keep a distance between your nose and the glass. And we look for the, um, in French, we said, uh, le point de, de perception, perception aromatique. The objective is to, to preserve your, your nose of the alcoholic vapor. 
and for somebody it's the level of uh, hair uh, and the neck uh, and for, the, for others it's nose because we are not able uh, it's so particular but more you you take care with the cognac and more you appreciate it okay don't agitate your glass don't put your nose in the glass just smell smell it and pass again and come again but do the same exercise uh, but without agitate your glass David, I want to thank you so much on this very busy day for you to take this time to speak to Paris Good Food and Wine. It was a good pleasure. Thank you very much for your welcoming. <laughs> thank you for listening to Paris Good Food and Wine. If you'd like to support our show, you can find our Paris Food and Wine shop at parisfoodandwine.net. T-shirts, food items, and a soon-to-be-published food and wine pairing guidebook. That's parisfoodandwine.net. Thank you for your support. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. A big thank you to all who helped make this show possible, and especially a grand merci beaucoup from me, your host and producer, Paige Donner. You can find this and past episodes of Paris Good Food and Wine on iTunes. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Paris Food Wine and like us on Facebook at Paris Food and Wine.